Well, good morning. <laughs> want to welcome you again to worship with us. If you have a Bible or a Bible app at home, go ahead and open to Exodus chapter 17, and we'll get there in just a few moments. Uh, I want to begin by sharing something that theologian Karl Barth uh, once wrote to his students, and here it is. He once wrote, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. Well, when we read the newspaper today, uh, or it may be more appropriate to say when we read the news online, I don't know how many people still read a physical newspaper, but when we read the news today, there really is just one story. Uh, it's the global pandemic that we find ourselves in called coronavirus or COVID-19. Uh, I'm an avid newsreader, and for months, this has been one of the many stories that I would read. Uh, and I'd read about its impact in China and other places in the world. But in the last few weeks, as I and, and probably many of you have read uh, multiple times a day about its impact, now not just globally or nationally, but especially here locally in Metro Detroit. And friends, uh, this is harrowing. It's disorienting. For many of us, it can be discouraging and, and maybe downright scary. I know many of you are feeling this, and you're not alone. Uh, but thankfully, we don't just read the news. We read, as Karl Barth said, we read our Bibles. And as a church, we've been reading our Bible throughout Lent, and specifically, we've been reading the book of Exodus. We've been looking at this story of God delivering his people out of slavery, leading them to the promised land of Canaan, a land that God would refer to as a good and spacious land. And yet, in order for the Israelites to enter that new land, they had to go through the wilderness. They had to go through a place of disorientation, a place of disequilibrium, a place of uncertainty, fear, and anxiety, and often wondering, where is God in the midst of this? And so this morning, I want us to look at a passage in Exodus that I believe speaks to the presence of God in the midst of a crisis, and how we, as the people of God, can respond when we find ourselves in a crisis. And specifically, we're going to look at five things that we need to know for when we're in crisis. So let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for just the truth of the words that we sang. And we thank you for the love that we have in you, for the victory that we have in you, for how great you are. I pray that in these few moments... Uh, whatever's going on in our hearts, I pray that you would, you would quiet our hearts so we could receive from you afresh and anew. As we look into your word, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear from you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint me to proclaim good news, good news that your church needs to hear this morning. We thank you that there is good news to tell and there's good news to hear. So let it be so this morning. We love you, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to be looking this morning at Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. And I want to give you a little bit of background first. Uh, God has led the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're now at the front end of their journey uh, towards the promised land. And they quickly learn that this is not going to be an easy journey. They've already struggled to have adequate food and water, and now they're about to face another challenge. So we're going to pick up in verses 8 through 9. We read this. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. 
Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of your men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So the Israelites here are attacked by the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were distant cousins of the Israelites. Israel traces their lineage back to Jacob, and the Amalekites trace their lineage back to a guy named Eliphaz, who was the son of Esau, Jacob's twin brother. Now, we don't know why the Amalekites attacked the Israelites, but we do know that they exploited the Israelites' weariness and fatigue at a time that they were vulnerable. In Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 and 18, we get this description. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on the journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. One commentator even goes as far as to suggest that those who were lagging behind and were targeted by the Amalekites were the sick, the aged, and the tired. And so the Israelites here are facing a fierce opponent, a powerful enemy that has no fear of God, and they have to respond. They have a major crisis on their hands. And Moses recognizes this. He recognizes that they're under attack, and so he goes to Joshua, who's a warrior and will become Moses' trusted aid and eventual successor. Moses instructs him to assemble an army to go out and fight the Amalekites. And just like that, the Israelites find themselves fighting a battle. And friends, like the Israelites, we need to know in our crisis that we are all fighting a battle. We are all fighting a battle. There's this quote that I've seen attributed to ancient philosophers such as Socrates or Plato, but also to more modern thinkers. So I don't know who really said it, but I've seen this around a lot. And the quote goes like this, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. We're all there. We're all fighting a battle. We all have our own Amalekites that we're facing. What is it for you? What is your Amalekite? What is the battle that you're fighting? Maybe for some of you this morning, it's a health battle. Maybe for some, it's a financial battle. Maybe for others, it's a relational battle or a spiritual battle. Maybe for some of us, we're fighting an emotional battle. Maybe for others, we're battling an addiction. Each and every one of us is fighting our own unique Amalekite, our own unique battle. But we are all also fighting a common battle. There's a battle going on that we all know something about. We all have a common Amalekite. We're all battling this pandemic. Each and every one of us is facing this enemy in some way. For some, it's impacted us physically. In fact, as of yesterday, nearly 700,000 people in the world have been infected with this virus. Almost 120,000 in the United States, 4,600 in Michigan, half of which, around 2,300, are in Wayne County. And for some of us, this battle is something that's impacted us financially. Perhaps we've lost a job, we've been laid off, or we've taken a pay cut. A few nights ago, I was picking up food. Becky and I, we wanted to support a, a local restaurant, and so we, we ordered from our favorite Middle Eastern place here in Dearborn. And I was picking up my order and talking with the owner, who I've gotten to know a little bit, and he was sharing with me that just in the last few weeks, business is 70% down for them. And he remarked to me that he doesn't know how they're going to come back from this. 
there are many in that place right now, many who are fighting a financial battle. For, for others, maybe this has impacted uh, you emotionally. Maybe you have loved ones who are sick. Maybe some who are on the front lines responding to this crisis. Maybe there's some who have had to make challenging decisions, or you're just getting more and more anxious and stressed out with every news report. But for all of us, it's impacted how we go about our daily lives. We are all in a battle. Here's the second thing we need to know is that we will grow tired. We will grow tired. If we read on verses 10 through the first part of verse 12, we read this. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. So while Joshua leads the Israelite army into battle, Moses, Aaron, and Hur go to the top of the hill. Now Aaron was Moses' older brother, uh, whom God has appointed as Moses' spokesperson. We don't know much about this guy named Hur. Uh, in Exodus 31, he's identified as the father of Bezalel, who was one of the builders of the tabernacle. One Jewish historian actually believes that Hur was the husband of Miriam, Moses' sister, and therefore was Moses' brother-in-law. But what we do see here is that Moses, Aaron, and Hur were not just passive bystanders watching from the cheap seats on high. Their presence on the hill and their participation in the fight would be critical to victory. We read, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So victory in this battle would only come through God's power. Remember, the staff that Moses holds is not the staff of Moses. It's the staff of God. God had performed all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders through that staff up until this point. But this battle also required Moses to do his part, which was to keep his hands raised in the air. Now, this would have required endurance, and so not surprisingly, we read that Moses' hands grew tired. Other translations read that they grew weary or heavy. Think about this for a moment. Think about holding up your hands for as long as you can. In fact, you're at home, so no one's going to see you. Uh, I challenge you to lift your hands up and keep them raised for the rest of this service. And if you make any comments online, we're going to know that you lost, that you weren't able to do it. Uh, this would require tremendous endurance. In fact, I thought it would be fun uh, to challenge my boys, my three sons, to this endurance uh, experience and to see how long they could keep their hands raised. And so yesterday we had a little fun, and I have a video that captures the challenge here. All right, so these three boys, they're going to do an extended arm challenge. I'm sure there's a more creative title, but that's what we've got off the cuff. So boys, pretty simple. When I count to three, you're just going to raise up your arms and just see how long you can hold them up for. You ready, Will? Yeah. Miles, you ready? Yeah. You, you look ready. Uh, Noah? Nope. Yep. Okay. Who thinks they're going to win? All right, here's the deal. You guys have to hold up your arms, and you cannot lean against the garage. All right, no cheating. So take a step forward. Take a step forward. All right. You guys ready? One, two, three, go. 
You can't hold your arms together, Miles. Separate them. There you go. All right. How are we feeling? No, hey, hey, stand in place. Stand in place. No, no high fives. You guys are bending the rules a little bit. Just got to stand there and hold up your arms. How are we feeling? Anyone tired yet? Yep. Yep. Appreciate your honesty, Miles. Oh, no. What are you going to do? Oh. oh, that was close. I got itch on my head. Oh, my gosh. I can't get that one. No. Extend your arms. You're folding them. You can't fold them. Oh, Miles is out. And there were two. Good job, Miles. Miles, who do you think is going to win? All right. We are, we are almost two minutes in. Those hands aren't quite straight. He's got a little, there you go. There's a little U-shape going there. You feeling it, Noah? Yeah. You feeling it? Will, how are you doing, man? You look pretty relaxed there. Feeling the burn, Noah? Yeah. Where, where are you feeling it? This is some pretty riveting action right here. Uh, the next challenge uh, we should do is, is, is to is see who can stay on the trampoline the longest. See who can stay on the trampoline the longest? Mm -hmm. Like you just have to, just be, like you can just sit on it? Ooh, Noah's feeling it. No, like they need to it. Oh, Will's the winner! <laughs> Will, congratulations on the win. What do you want to say to the world? I'm better than you guys. <laughs> All right. Congratulations, William Iwaskiewicz, winning the first ever Iwaskiewicz Extended Arms Challenge. We're signing off. All right. Well, so Will's very humble also. Uh, last night he was saying to me, he goes, I can't wait until church tomorrow. So that's great, buddy. I'm really happy to hear that. He says, yeah, I can't wait for my video to be shown. Um, when we find ourselves in battle, it requires endurance. And we are going to grow tired. Whatever battle you're fighting right now, if it hasn't happened already, you're going to grow tired. And in the battle that we're facing against this pandemic, we're going to need endurance. And friends, we are going to grow tired. Some of you are already there. This battle is already exhausting, whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. And in many ways, we're still just at the beginning. You're going to experience some grief. We're going to experience some loss. Or maybe going to be confused or have questions. Last week, uh, when I was putting my youngest son, Miles, to bed, before we spent time in prayer, he, he made this comment to me. He had this question. He said, if God has the power to save and to heal everyone, then why would he just let his creation fall apart? That's a hard question. And maybe you have similar questions yourselves. Maybe there's things that you find yourself struggling with. Things are going to get heavy. You're going to grow weary. You're going to grow tired. Things aren't always going to feel okay, and that's okay. Friends, when you're in a battle, you're going to grow tired. Here's the third thing that we need to know. We need help. We need help. Here's the second part of verse 12. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady 
till sunset. So we discover here the purpose for Aaron and her being on that hill with Moses. They weren't just there for moral support. First, they put a stone under Moses where he could sit. And then they held his hands up, one on one side of Moses and one on the other. And in the same way, we all need help in the battle. We all need our own Aaron and her to lift us up and to steady us in the midst of a crisis. And the good news is for us this morning that God has given us the ultimate help. God gives us help through his son, Jesus, and he gives us help through one another. God gives us help through Jesus. The reality is that we are all facing an enemy much bigger than coronavirus. We are all dealing with the pandemic spread of sin. Each and every one of us has been infected with sin. It has been the deadliest disease throughout history. In fact, it has a 99.9% infection rate and a 100% death rate. We are absolutely powerless against it. But in his great love for humanity, God sent us help. He sent us the antidote. God the Father sent Jesus the Son, the only one who was never infected by sin, to become sin on our behalf. Jesus stretched out his arms for us, not held up by two partners, but held up by nails on a cross in between two thieves. Jesus went up on a hill, not with friends, but alone to die so that we could have life with him. Jesus was buried low in the ground so that we could be raised up in and through him. And through his death and resurrection, we can have victory. We can have healing and salvation against our greatest enemies, sin and death. And the Bible teaches that if we place our faith and our trust in him, then we can be healed, we can be saved, we can be made whole. Because of Jesus, we don't have to fight this battle on our own. Jesus fought the greatest battle for us, and therefore he gives us help to fight all other battles as well. Before Jesus' death and resurrection, there were many things that he said to his disciples. But a few, specific to him being a helper, he said that he would give them the Holy Spirit who would be the helper. And then later on in the New Testament, we read about the church being the body of Christ. So the resurrected Jesus lives on in and through the church. He lives on in and through us, in and on through you. And one of the primary ways then that Jesus helps us is through one another. We're called to bear one another's burdens, to be Aaron and her for one another. We are going to need each other to go through this. Don't go through it alone. We're all going to need our own Aaron and her in this crisis. Fourth thing we need to know, not only do we need help, but we need to help. We all need an Aaron and a her, but we also need to be Aaron and her for others. I'm reminded of something that Mr. Rogers once said in his program and in many different interviews. And here it is. Maybe some of you have seen this or heard this. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Well, this is a timely quote. And there are so many helpers out there to be found. Healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, teachers, volunteers, community service organizations. We're so grateful for all the helpers out there. But I would take this one step further. Church, let's not just look for the helpers. Let's look for opportunities to become 
the helpers. Let's not just talk about the opportunity that the church has in the midst of this crisis. Let's seize the opportunity that's in front of us. Let's look for opportunities to be Aaron and her for one another, but also for our community and world around us. Historically, when scary things happen in the world and people have looked for the helpers, what they have often found is the church. In fact, Christianity saw an explosion of growth and impact in the first two centuries, particularly through the church's response to two major epidemics. In the year 165, and then less than 100 years later, there were two deadly epidemics that swept through the Roman Empire, killing almost a third of the population. And what we're experiencing now is bad, but it pales in comparison to what was going on at the time. At the beginning of this period, Christianity was still a small fringe group of Galilean Jewish people. However, by the end of this period, the church had grown exponentially in number and impact throughout the known world. And what happened during these crises was essentially that Christians responded differently than pagans. When everyone else was fleeing the cities and isolating themselves, Christians moved toward the sick and dying, even at great peril to themselves, due in large part because of their belief that they had nothing to fear in death. They had already been rescued from sin and death. And so what more did they have to fear? And this contrast between the Christians who responded in helping people in the midst of the crisis and the pagans who ran away led to the Emperor Julian's observation as he wrote to a pagan priest, the impious Galileans, which is how he referred to Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see our people lack aid from us. Following this, one historian, Rodney Stark, said that Julian launched a campaign to institute pagan charities in an effort to match the Christians. In other words, the pagan emperor looked to the church's example and said, this is what the empire, what the pagans ought to be doing. We're living in a scary time. We're in a battle. We're going to grow tired and we're going to need help. But this is also a time of great opportunity for the church to rediscover and reimagine her vocation as the helpers. Innovation almost always is birthed out of desperation. So how can we be Aaron and her to one another and to our community in this crisis? What if centuries from now, when people tell the story of coronavirus, They'll tell of those Christians, those Christians who were checking on, in on those in need, who were checking in on those who were lonely. What if they told the stories of those Christians who always stepped up when it came to meal distribution, those Christians who would post positive and encouraging notes in their windows and on their sidewalks, those Christians who prayed for and cared for the sick, those Christians who were helping those who were out of work and supporting local businesses. My hope and prayer is that that's the story that will be told of us ages from now. Missiologist Alan Hirsch had a great metaphor uh, in a conversation this week about how the church ought to be thinking about her response in this crisis. Here's what he said. If you want to learn how to play chess, you should start by removing your own queen. Once you've mastered the game without the most powerful piece, then put the queen back in and see how good you are. 
For the church, the Sunday service is our queen. We've been relying on it too much. Now that the queen has been taken off the board, it's time to rediscover what all the other pieces can do. I can't wait to see what all the pieces in the church can do in this season. So here's the fifth and final thing that we need to know in the midst of a crisis. That we have reason for hope. We have reason for hope. Here's how the story ends, verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So the Israelites eventually won. They overcame the Amalekites. Now they'd fight other battles, they'd have other challenges, they'd face other crises along the way. But they experienced victory here. They overcame the Amalekite. And I believe wholeheartedly in the depths of my being that when we're in Christ, we will overcome our greatest Amalekites and that we can overcome this crisis and it should bring us hope. So I've been thinking about this idea of hope I was reminded uh, this week of, of something that I learned about the Detroit flag not too long ago. Um, our family moved to this area about three years ago, and so in that time, I've, I've studied a lot about Detroit and the metro Detroit area and learned a lot of, of this city and this region's great heritage. And along the way, uh, I came across the story behind the Detroit flag, and perhaps you've seen this before, but in the middle of the flag is a seal. And there's really kind of two different images that are going on here. On the left-hand side, you have a woman who's looking down, weeping uh, over a city in flames. And then on the other side, you have another woman, and behind her is uh, green trees and a city that, that looks rebuilt. And the picture that we see here is a representation of the Detroit fire, which occurred in 1805. The fire caused the entire city to burn with only one building saved from the flames. And so the figure on the left is weeping over the city as the figure on the right is celebrating a city rebuilt. You'll also notice that there are two Latin phrases in this image. On the left-hand side, it's the phrase speramus meliora, which means, translated as we hope for better things. We hope for better things. And then on the right... It's resurgit cineribius. I maybe didn't pronounce that right, but you wouldn't know the difference anyway. The phrase that has been sticking with me is the one on the left. Speramus meliora. We hope for better things. You know, beyond the motto for a city, a city that has risen many times and we hope will rise again, this should be the anthem of every Christ follower. We hope for better things. We are hope-shaped people. Our lives are shaped by our hope, not ultimately in the rebuilding of this city, but ultimately they're shaped by the hope in the one who will remake all of creation. In fact, at the end of Scripture in Revelation, this vision that the Apostle John has, he has this vision of Jesus, and he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, who is Jesus, said, I am making everything new. And friends, it is the one who speaks these words that we place our faith and hope in. And so we need to live now as a sign and a foretaste of that hope. A hope in what is to come. 
My prayer is that by our words and by our deeds, by our announcements and our demonstration, we will proclaim loudly with our lives the message of hope in the midst of this crisis. So we're in a battle. We'll grow tired. We'll need help. We need to help. But we have reason to hope. I want to invite you then to prayerfully consider taking two next steps this week. The first is this. I will find an Aaron and her to lift me up in battle. As you're facing this crisis, as you're struggling through this, you're going to need help. Who are some people that can come alongside you and help you process and, and deal with what's going on? I think it's interesting that God sent two people up that hill with Moses. It wasn't just Aaron going up. It wasn't just her going up the hill with Moses, but God sent two. I think there's power in us having multiple people that we can get help from when we need it. Who is that in your life? Who in this next week could you go to and say, hey, I need you to be my Aaron. I need you to be my her. I need you to help me process some things. I'm struggling a little bit with all of this, and I just I need someone to listen. I need someone to pray with me. Who could that be for you? But then second, I want to challenge you this week to be an Aaron and her for someone else. Who is it? Who is it around you that's weary, that's growing tired, that things are getting heavy, that needs help? Who is Jesus calling you to lift up this season? We all need help, and we all need to give help. Who is that for you? What does that look like for you in your life in the coming days? On a personal note, in this next week, uh, I'll be transitioning to a different leadership role within the Southern Michigan Conference, the network of churches that we belong to. And uh, I'll still be around and still be involved in what's going on in the life of our church. But I, I, I want to take a moment to sincerely thank you for being Aaron and her, uh, to Becky and I and our boys for these past several years. And I trust that in some ways we've been Aaron and her to you along the way as well. And as we make this transition, know that I have great hope for the church, and specifically I have great hope for Dearborn Free Methodist Church in the coming days as we continue on mission to show how Jesus' love restores joy and freedom to Metro Detroit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when we face a battle, when we find ourselves in crisis, that we are not alone. And not only do we have help in the midst of the battle, we have the ultimate help. We have help from you. I thank you that uh, in and through you, we can have victory in our greatest battle, our battle against sin and death. And so if that's true, then we trust that you can give us victory in all other battles as well. So I pray for each and every person today who's worshiping with us online, who's hearing these words. I pray that they would just they know in the depths of their soul, whatever battle they're fighting right now, that you're with them, that you love them, and that there is reason for hope, even when things might look bleak. Lord, I pray uh, for each and every one of us that we would have an Aaron and a Her in this season, that we would have people that we could reach out to who would come alongside, who would help us, who would lift us up, and I pray also that we would be Aaron and her for others. That we would identify those in our lives who are tired, who are weary, who are afraid. And that we would come alongside them and we would lift them up in this season. And ultimately, may we look to you and ultimately your hands as you hold us up 
as you sustain us and as you steady us at all times, both good and bad, both in times of celebration and times of struggle. We thank you that we can look to you in all things. I pray that in the coming weeks you would give us courage, that you would give us strength to follow you, however it is that you're leading us. I pray especially just for uh, our city, for our region, for Metro Detroit. We pray for a quick end uh, to the spread of this virus. And we pray for continued wisdom and discernment and provision for those who are on the front lines uh, providing aid for the people who are being affected by this. And I pray that there will be a day when this is all over and story upon story will be told about how your church came and helped others, how your church rose up in that time to be agents of hope and love and compassion. Jesus, may it be so of us. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.